We've been focusing for six messages now. This is the final message. On the fact that the children of God, Father has purpose for us. You know, I, I live in a family that a lot of the family members have Bible names, you know, and I'm, I kind of like that, but, of course, you can't find Carl anywhere in the Word of God by name. You can find me in there. I'm in there. You're in there, too. Amen? But not by name, you know. Uh, I'm reminded of people like Matthias. We hear about him in one little story where the disciples got together, and uh, they were following the instructions, supposedly, of those people in white who told them, go to this place, wait and tarry there and pray until the gift of the Father comes, right? Well, Peter was still, still, even then, a very impetuous man, and he uh, stood up in the group. They're supposed to be praying, waiting, tearing for the Holy Spirit to come, right? Peter stands up and comes up with this great idea. Well, why don't we, why don't we replace Judas while we're sitting around? We're not doing anything else, right? <laughs> we're not doing much of anything else. Let's, let's replace Judas. And they picked a couple of guys out. Matthias is one of them, and I know that I can remember his name because he won the vote, right? I don't even remember the other guy's name, you know. But if you go to the Bible and you find Matthias, circle it because that's the last time you ever see his name. He, he isn't mentioned ever again, which I think is a clue that Matthias' destiny was not so great that it was going to be recorded, whatever it was. We don't know what it was. But sometimes I have to admit, I wonder, you know, I, I know that you're, you're driving me into this message, Father, and you're teaching me things and you're telling me things. But if we're not careful, we will be tempted to feel like Matthias. If you're not careful, you'll get buried in that. God's telling us not to do that, amen? Now, what we've done is we've taken a very close look at the children of Israel because they had been disobedient to God, they had been taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. And we looked at some of the great prophets and, and the great men of God that were raised up in Israel during their time of captivity, and now we're at Jeremiah. Turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to read verses 11 through 14. And we're going to find out something about the children of Israel. We're going to find out something about what the next step in their destiny was going to be. And we're going to learn a little bit about how they got where they got. How many of you know it's easy to say they got where they got through disobedience, right? I mean, that's pretty simple right there. But we're going to look at what form the disobedience took. Message 6 on destiny. Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning with verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Is that a familiar verse of Scripture? I need to be reminded of that sometimes. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Remember now, this was after they had failed. It was after they had made mistakes. It was after they had done a list of things that were wrong. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to a place from which I sent you into exile. 
after several long, or 70 long years in exile, that's a lot more than several, isn't it? After 70 long years in exile, the Israelites had nearly lost hope. You ever been there? As they lived under pagan kings in a foreign land, they wondered if they would ever get back home. And even if they did make it back to Israel, surely it wouldn't be the same. The houses they had left would probably be in shambles. And the crops they had spent so much time on planting and energy harvesting would likely have been overtaken by weeds and ravished by hungry animals, no doubt. How could they keep hoping that their lives would get better when for 70 years they had only gotten worse? I can tell you that I, I get phone calls from people I have people stop by the office. I counsel folks that they're there. They're right there. They're in that spot. They have seen so many things go wrong. So many decisions go bad. So many choices just be downright ugly that they have lost all hope that their lives could ever be different or their lives could ever change or ever could get better. But then the prophet Jeremiah reminded the Israelites that their time in exile was almost up. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Anybody here do for a visit from God? But first, God had disciplined his people for worshiping idols and for neglecting the Sabbath year for 490 years. I'm going to tell you what that means here in a few minutes. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 20 and 21. 2 Chronicles 36, 20 and 21. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. They bowed down to other so-called gods and refused to give the land rest each seventh year as the Lord had commanded them. Now let's talk about what that means. When God took the children of Israel into the promised land and they inherited that land, God gave strict rules on how the land should be treated. Now, if, there, if for no other reason than God judged Israel because they just disobeyed him, that would be enough. It would be enough. But let's do a little math here this morning. In Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 and 11, for six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and your olive orchard. So this is the rule they messed up on. This was the thing they just disregarded and, and made up their minds. Well, it's not really that important. Let me tell you, every single solitary little detail that God is doing in your life is important. What did we learn? How did we learn that? We learned that, that even a little charcoal fire that the soldiers had lit, that Peter warmed his hands over and then denied Christ 
denied that he ever knew Christ. You fast forward to after the death and resurrection of, of Jesus, and he confronts seven of his disciples on the seashore, asks them if they've caught anything, and they say, no. He said, try the other side. John instantly recognized that and told Peter, that's the Lord. While they gathered in the net, as, God, as Jesus had instructed, and drew all those fish in, Peter jumps in, swims ashore, and what does he find Jesus doing? Cooking breakfast for him over a charcoal fire. Jesus took Peter back to the place where he had taken the wrong turn and confronted him. So, well, Brother Dennis, how do you know that? Because what did Jesus say to him? Peter, do you love me? Isn't that taking him back to that night where he said, I don't even know him. I don't even know Jesus. And a simple thing like a little charcoal fire God used, Jesus used, to bring G or Peter back to the place and to confront him about what he had done and to make corrections, to fix the path Peter was on. Because what did he say to Peter before? Peter, Satan's desire to sift you like wheat. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe today you feel that way. You know, I'm not just preaching to a bunch of Bible scholars here. I'm preaching to people that said this end all the way to this end. God help me. Amen. God help me as a pastor, right? So what does he tell Peter? Peter, Satan's desire to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Do you know why that's important to me? Because right now, right now, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He's not only prayed for us, but he's praying for us. Amen? That tells me everything's going to be okay. I don't care what you're buried under right now. Everything's going to be okay. And what does Jesus say to Peter? But I've prayed for you, and when you turn, help your brothers. Help your brothers. Why, why is that important? There's not a single one of us in this room that couldn't turn to another human being and say, one day I was facing this, and God helped me. God helped me. And you can turn a brother. You can turn a sister. Amen? And when you remind yourself of that, you can even turn yourself through a quality decision. Amen? A serious quality decision. So watch this with me. How many times have I told you I'm no good at math? You know, i got to tell you this story. You know, technology is something that my sons have, you know, tried to introduce me to, and they're going to keep working on it. I was in town, I think three Sundays ago, and my family, we like to gather together after church on Sunday, and we spend some quality time together. We eat together. We pray together. We, you know, we talk about our lives. And, you know, and this particular Sunday, I hung around in town a little too long. Ruthie had her car. She left and went. A few minutes till 4 in the afternoon. About 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I tried to go home. How many remember what happened? It was an accident on the Glen Highway. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I couldn't go home. There's no bridge to nowhere that I could take out to the valley and come around to my house, you know. Um, the federal government cut the money off for that bridge because somebody convinced the federal government it's a bridge to nowhere, that it's worthless. 
It's a waste of taxpayer money. I would have kissed that bridge before I crossed it that day, right? So I'm sitting in the parking lot at the Tocotnou Mall along with hundreds and hundreds of other vehicles. You'd think Christmas shopping was going on, but no, people were like, they were leaning back in their seats asleep, right? After about two hours of waiting, my phone pings, and I look at my phone. My phone will, will tell me on Sunday morning when I get in my truck and start my truck up and hook my phone up there, it says how many minutes it is to Wayland Baptist University because it knows my habits, right? That's kind of scary in a way, but it knows my habits, right? But all of a sudden, my phone pinged, and I looked at it. It said 12 hours and two minutes to home. Take the Richardson Highway. Traffic is light. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at my phone going, exactly, what, what, 12 hours and two minutes to home, take the Richardson Highway, traffic is light, and I can't get to the Richardson Highway. But even if I could have gotten to the Richardson Highway, it wanted me to go all the way up to Fairbanks, come all the way back down, and all the way back over to get to my house. Only I couldn't get to the Richardson, I couldn't get to the parks, I couldn't get to any of those places, so what it was going to take me. I'd get home when I got home, right? I got home at 8 o'clock that night. Now, what's my point in all that? What's my point in all that? I don't care what technology you come with. I don't care all those things, those gadgets. No, God's the only one that matters. Amen? Watch this with me. So God sent the Israelites to an idol-worshiping nation and gave the land of Israel the 70 years of rest it had missed during the 490 years that the Israelites had disobeyed God's command. Take 490 years, divide it by 7. What do you get? 70. God took an exacting measure out of the children of Israel's lives because for 490 years. Now, don't tell me God's not a long-suffering God. Amen? He waited 490 years before he pulled the trigger on judgment. For them, he is a long-suffering God. He loves the children of Israel, and he loves you. Amen? Don't tell me he will not deal with us when we need to be disciplined because he loves us. Amen? He loves us. In my home, where my children grew up, we had this paddle. It was about this big around. had a handle on it. It looked, like looked kind of like a racquetball racket, only it was kind of solid, and it had holes drilled in it. And it had a plastic edge, and it had a little rope that you could put it on your wrist, give it a few twists, and it wasn't going nowhere. <laughs> right? And I would tell my kids, you know, that deserves a swap. Or I would say, that deserves three swaps. Never more than three. Never more than three. And we could negotiate. Generally, they were going to get a SWAT, though. I'd tell my oldest son, Aaron, go get, the, go get Mr. Buster. Aaron, Aaron would go get Mr. Buster, and then we'd enter into negotiations, and then we'd get our SWAT or two, and it would be over. L not, uh, no, no, no. Do what now? <laughs> Listen to this. Oh, I'll it gets worse than that. And, and you just hold your horses over there, young man. Do what now? Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, I'd say, you, you know, very rarely they ever get more than three. It's not the point of the story, Nathan. <laughs> That's my baby boy for you. Leah very seldom ever got swats uh, for one reason, one reason only. One, because she was a little girl. It's because if she realized she disappointed you, she was crushed. So what are you going to do, spank her after that? 
One time, she disobeyed me and opened a Christmas present that she wasn't supposed to open, so she got swats, right? Now, Nathan was different than Aaron and Leah. You asked for this, young man. No, but, but he was ingenious. I'd say, son, go get Mr. Buster. Bring it here, right? He'd disappear. A few minutes later, he'd come back and say, I can't find it. <laughs> he couldn't find it. No, he hid it. He hid it. He wanted to make sure I couldn't find it, right? And so that was Nathan for you. So you've totally blown my point out of the water. I hope you're happy. <laughs> All right, but the time had finally come for the children of Israel to return home. So God sent Jeremiah to remind the people that God didn't hold a grudge. God doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't get mad at you and stay mad at you, you know? He doesn't punish you and then, and then try to, you know, punish you later with, with uh, ignoring you or bad treatment or whatever. He, you know, he didn't ignore. He didn't, it isn't that he didn't hear the cries of the people of Israel, but he can do math. Amen? He set the rules for the math. 490 years divided by 7, 70 years, because he was going to get what he wanted. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's going to get what he wants. Amen? God wanted his people to draw near to him in humility and call on him and receive his guidance every single day. I wrote a few more notes here. Listen to this. The banished Israelites had forgotten their God was a God of hope, restoration, and grace. That's what this whole series has been about. Remember those things. God is a God of hope. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of grace. Amen? You know, it would behoove us after that, though. What have we been learning in the Word of God? God is a God of grace, but he expects us to get in the Word, and he expects us to line up with it. Amen? With him on their side, their future could only get better, and Christians today have that same hope. As we worship God and listen for his guidance, he will lead us to our destiny. And even when difficult days come, we can always live with hope because the Lord walks with us each day. He's not forgotten us. He's not forgotten you. I don't care how heavy your heart is today. I don't, I don't care what the circumstances are. This is what I tell people every day of my life. When, when someone calls and, they're, and what they're saying is, they're calling me and they're wanting even to convince me that their life is so bad they can be upset with God. And I tell them that's not possible. I can't do that. You can't turn your back on the God that is your only hope. You can't become so discouraged and so buried that you're blind to what God's trying to say to you. I say this again, said it in so many different ways. And even when difficult days come, we can always live with hope because the Lord walks with us each day. Now, some of these takeaways that I'm going to give you here, these points. They sound a lot alike, but they're reminders, so bear with me. It'll only take a few minutes to close this out. Number one, begin to live with hope as God reveals your destiny. It's not going to all square up today. Just because you decide to do the right thing today doesn't mean that by sunset this evening everything's going to look pretty. Learn to live with hope as God reveals your destiny to you. His plan. Here's some notes about this. Hope is a joyful expectation that tomorrow will be better than today. And then the next day can be better than that. And the next day can be better than that. 
Maybe the increments will be small in your perception, but they're big with God. They're big with God. Even when circumstances seem dark and confusing, God has a destiny for each and every one of us. No one gets left out. You just think you get left out. Number two, in difficult times, hope in God and his destiny for your life. I put life, but it's supposed to be life. God gave a future and hope to Israel in the midst of their bondage in Babylon, their bad economy, and despite their bad choices. God told his people that they would find him and their destiny if they searched for him with all their hearts. You don't have to find your destiny. Listen to this carefully. You don't necessarily have to find your destiny. You just have to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord, and he will guide you to your destiny. Number three, live with hope as you fulfill your destiny. Begin to live out your destiny today. As, with, as we have already learned, God often uses your mistakes, even your sins and your heartaches, to take you to your destiny. Have, has anybody ever served a God that even when you have totally and completely messed up, totally and completely made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, that if you turn to God, he can turn the tables on the devil and, and, and turn all that for your good? That, that's the God maybe that, you know, one of the magnificent things about him that makes him so magnificently different than any other thing that would try to control your life. If you're still alive, everybody reach down, check a pulse. Yes, I have a pulse. So is there hope for me? There's breath in my body, right? There's hope for me. Look, look. I don't care what you've been going through. I don't care how the devil's been trying to come against you. I, I want you to, you know, the Bible even uses a phrase like this, shake yourself, shake yourself, see, wipe the stuff out of your eyes in the name of Jesus and look at the truth of the word of God above those circumstances of your life, all of the hurt and all of the pain. Now, now this is a dynamic statement. I, I highlighted this. If, if you want to make a note of this. God restores what our mistakes have broken, and he often makes people more useful. Listen to this. i got to start over. Because, of course, God would cause me to focus on this now. God restores what our mistakes have broken, and he often makes people more useful at the end of their lives than at the beginning. You know, some of us in this room almost qualify for geezer status, so we can testify to this, <laughs> you know. If you don't know what geezer status is, look it up. Google it later. <laughs> God restores what our mistakes have broken, and he often makes people more useful at the end of their lives than at the beginning. My father is at the door. He's at the precipice of going to heaven. There were many years in my life when if my father was at that precipice, I would have had no hope. I would have had no hope, really. I'm just being honest with you. But something happened to my father one day. He had an epiphany. He met Christ. And after that, there was nothing else he wanted to talk about but what God was doing in his life. 
He just wanted to talk about God. He wanted to talk about how good Jesus had been to him. He wanted to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in in his life and in the life of, of his family members. God restores what our mistakes have broken, and he often makes people more useful at the end of their lives than at the beginning. It's just a truth. Trust God, and he will fulfill your destiny. Listen to this. Even though Samson let his passions get the best of him and disobeyed God, he is in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 because he trusted God at the end of his life. As Samson trusted God at the end of his life, he fulfilled his destiny. Judges chapter 16, verses 28 and 30. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me. These are, the, these are the words. Please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, and his right hand on the one, and his left hand on the other side. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it, so that the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed throughout his lifetime. Because he was an instrument in the hands of God to bring judgment on the Philistines. Do you understand that? It's a terrible story, isn't it? But God used him as an instrument to bring judgment on the Philistines. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and what more shall I say? Because Verse after verse after verse after verse after verse in Hebrews chapter 7. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. Until he had mentioned so many people, when he reaches Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets. And, And the list goes on and on and on. You know what breaks my heart? in a way, and I don't even know if I should mention that. I mean, I don't, I don't have a check not to. But it breaks my heart that Adam and Eve's name isn't listed there. But Samson's is. Be careful not to look at Samson's life and say, well, at least I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. No, 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 no. don't get caught up in that. I once made the mistake of just thinking off the top of my head, Well, I was thinking about how wonderful David was and after he had a heart after God, you know, and so forth and so on. And I thought, well, at least I didn't kill somebody and take their wife. And the Lord dealt with me about that. He told me, don't do that. You understand what I'm saying? We've all done plenty. Amen. All of us. You can't judge like that. It's dangerous. In closing, I want to read you some statements here I wrote. Destiny looks forward. When we're driving our car, we don't spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror, do we? If you spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror, where you're heading is going to become dangerous. Amen? When you're driving in your car, you don't spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror, a small piece of glass that gives a limited view backward. Instead, we spend most of our time looking forward through our windshield, which is a much bigger piece of glass that shows us where we're going. Likewise, Christians must keep their eyes focused on God. 
as he leads them to their destiny. Remember, when we're going, when we're going uh, where we're going is much better than where we've been. Never forget that. Where you're going is better than where you've been. That truth gives us hope. Focus on God and fulfill your destiny. Even in the dark places, God has a plan for you. Now listen to this. Here's the good news. After all I've said, six weeks of this, I know you're ready for something new. I know that. I am too. But the good news is you don't have to find your destiny. You just have to find God, and he will give you your destiny. Amen? You have value before God, so you have destiny. Amen? All right, this is what I'm going to close with. Some of you are not going to like this, but to me, God's a junkyard specialist. He can take things that have been thrown away and turn them into masterpieces. God will take stuff like that and he will demonstrate their awesome value if we just let him. Can you say amen? What a wonderful day it is. I look around the room and I'm excited about what God's doing in the fellowship. I'm excited about this service today. I'm excited because what are we going to do? We're going to have communion together. With this sermon on your heart, with what we talked about early, there's nothing God can't do in this room today. God's not limited. Amen? We've, we've heard the Word of God. I believe it's, it, it, the Word of God always inspires me. I will tell you that sometimes it breaks me down and it rebuilds me. Sometimes I need to be re, retooled. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes I need to be redirected, you know? There's nothing better than a communion service to walk into it with that knowledge, you know, and give it to God. Because there's not a communion service that if you want to get ready for it and you ask God to help you see what needs to be changed in your life, he's not going to say, no, I'm, I don't feel like that today. <laughs> no, communion services is what this is for, right? It's for getting with God, hearing what he wants to change in your life, and you yielding it to him, amen? You give it to him. That's all you got to do. And all of a sudden, listen, how many things in Christianity do you know that you can get ready for where the word worthy applies if you just obey the word of God? The word worthy applies if you just obey God. Amen? Get with the Lord. Ask the Lord, what is it, Father, that you want from me today? And whatever he touches, you give it to him. You say, how do I do that, Pastor? You just pray about it. Ask the Lord to take it. Take a deep breath, relax, and let him have it. Amen? Let him walk off with it. Amen? Let him deal with it. Let him destroy it the way only God can. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, there are those of us in this room today that are facing physical challenges. There is no better laid out plan in the Word of God. It's not hit and miss. It's communion. Amen? And you can give that physical ailment of your life over to God. Let him touch it. Let him apply the work of Jesus Christ's stripes on his back to your life. That's what a communion service is about. Amen? I will tell you this. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, because the devil always likes to show up at the communion service at first and tell people, oh, you, you can't take communion. You, you, you're one prayer away from taking communion. Do you hear me? Don't listen to that lying devil. Amen? Submit yourself to God. Amen? Resist the devil and he must 
flee. We used to say, all you got to do is resist the devil, and he'll flee. Baloney, he'll eat you for lunch. But if you submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he will flee. He must flee. He cannot stand in the presence of your submission to God. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm having a good time here today. Amen? I'm having a good time in the Word of God. You think for one moment that I stand up here and I don't get changed? You're wrong. The Word of God, one of the greatest honors and privileges I have in my life, or maybe the greatest, is preparing dinner for us every Sunday. For us to feed on the Word of God, let it change us, let it minister to us, and let it minister through us. Amen? All right. Please stand with me this morning.